How's it going, everybody? My name's MJ, and you're listening to the MTG in Quarantine podcast. As usual, I'd like to give a shout-out to my local game store, Guardian Games. You can find Guardian Games on the web at ggportland.com. Today's episode is another in the Control Room series, where I bring my friend Ryan, aka Sodium Chloride, on the MTG in Quarantine Discord, on to talk about a variety of amazing, wacky, and somewhat wild MTG topics. So again, without further ado, I'd like to reintroduce my friend Ryan to the show. Hey Ryan, how's it going today? No, it's going pretty well today. All right, that's great to hear. So the topic of today's episode is going to be the first part of a probably multiple-part series on our favorite sneaky cards in Magic the Gathering. Obviously, this is kind of a loaded term, but typically we're looking at cards that are not just um, able to be utilized at instant speed, although it does help to be an instant, but just those cards that we feel like we don't see an awful lot of EDH tables, yet which can have a pretty big effect on the game when you play them in the right circumstances, and in some cases of, of some of the cards we're going to be talking about today, I have actually used these cards to great effect in some of my games. So I can definitely vouch for the utility of some of these cards. Alright, so without further ado again, I'm going to just talk about quickly about the, the card that kind of got me inspired uh, uh, about this topic, which is Teamer Battle Rage. Again, Teamer Battle Rage is an instant for one and a red, and target creature gains double strike until end of turn. So again, it's a great way to try to be able to push in double damage. And if you have uh, Ferocious, which means you have a creature with power four or greater, it gains trample until end of turn. So Teamer Battle Rage is just one of those cards that, again, is good in multiple formats. It's one of those things that was played in uh, standard, modern, uh, some of the standard 60 construct 60 card constructed formats as well as EDH. But it also definitely has a really good effect in our format as well. So uh, obviously that's not one of the cards on the list, but it was definitely one of the cards that I was thinking of when compiling my list just because it is so ubiquitous with our format and uh, frankly still has a home in, in EDH. So uh, Ryan, what's your first card that, or at least what is your first favorite sneaky card for EDH? Uh, I think I'd just like to talk about uh, a Tumor Battle Rage. The uh, one mm -hmm. you mentioned. Uh, I think it's really good at doming your opponents, actually. <laughs> I think that's... that's uh, if, if you want to deal a bunch of commander damage really quick without people realizing what's uh, going on, that's like an ideal way to do that, uh, especially if you slap it on something that's unblockable at the same time. Yeah, it definitely works in that uh, Torbrand deck of yours, which then adds another two damage on top of the double strike. So if you can get one of your large beater creatures out there, um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think, if you get something like one of the, the dragons or, you know, something something really good out of that deck that has a lot of power, all, all of a sudden you're not just swinging for two or four based with Torbrand there, but all of a sudden you could be swinging for like 10, 12 damage with that. I mean, that, and then you gain Trample too, which you, again can never be understated, especially in red, which sort of have a, has a problem sometimes giving out trample. So Teamer Battle Rage gets around that by giving you a very green effect along with a very, very red effect. So it's, so in a way, it kind of fits in with uh, the theme here of being Teamer, although I'm not really quite sure exactly how this fits in with Teamer, you know, given the fact that it requires blue. But it does definitely fit with that gruel color identity, but also only costs one red. So, I mean, uh, honestly, it's just it's a great card does a lot of things and can really wreck some people in the right situations. Yeah. 
And uh, I use it in my Wyleth deck to, uh, uh, if I'm already running a bunch of things that increases his power to some something crazy, it's going to effectively double his power on the spot and actually dome someone, especially since Wyleth already has Trample tacked mm -hmm. onto him. Um, and he's going to be gaming tons of evasion due to all of the equipment or auras that are going to be stacked on a commander like that. Yeah, so, so you're just giving him double strike. And... Yeah, it's incredibly cheap. Uh, a cheap way to empower a creature. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely one of those things where if you're leaving one mana and a red open and you have a large creature which can swing in for a lot of damage, people are going to be afraid that you have a team or battle rage. So even if you don't have this card in hand, it's ubiquitous enough that you can bluff it, just like a counter spell in blue, for instance, because exactly. people are going to have to be afraid that you have that in hand, especially if you do have, uh, again, a giant dragon or something, where, again, you could be swinging for that 10 to 12 points of damage, or in your case, Wyleth could be up to a 5 or 6. You know, you're still getting that 10 to 12 points, and, and again, that's commander damage, and hopefully if you play your cards right, um, that could really be a knockout blow against someone with commander damage. Yeah, um... They just have to hope and pray that they have something to block. Otherwise, they're going to get domed. Like I said, it's it's great. Mm -hmm. All right, let's move on to your first card. Uh, my first card is going to be one that is uh, near and dear to the hearts of many people um, over the years. A card that has been played ever since it was first released and is still being played probably about 20 years later. And that card is uh, Mystic Snake. Mm -hmm. uh, Mystic Snake is, an, is a classic creature that does what it does, and it has not been power crept out of its uh, position of dominance at the top of the counter target spell when it comes into play category, which I guess I suppose it isn't a giant category, but um, this this at least occupies the uh, the Simic coloration for it. It's uh, a creature with one generic mana, uh, one green, and two blue for its mana cost, and it um, has flash. It's a snake, and uh, when it enters the battlefield, you counter target spell. It's a 2-2 body as well on that creature, mm -hmm. so it actually uh, would make a decent blocker as well. I mean, if you have an emergency situation and you're, you're not even wanting to counter a spell, you could theoretically just flash this guy into play to block something. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of like a lookout Mr. President kind of thing. Yep. Um, but I, I suppose it's not the, the optimal kind of use for a card like this. The optimal use for a card like this is uh, uh, countering something and then also putting down a surprise creature on the board. Uh, so you're, get, you're getting that additional value out of your counter spell. You know, and and a, a a hard counter for four plus uh, plus a two two body, uh, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's it, it's, I think it's, it's priced just about right. Counter spell yeah. plus a bear for one and a green, effectively. I mean, that's also why it's been reprinted one, two, three, four times now over the past twenty twenty years, actually. It'd be 20 years since uh, it debuted in, in Apocalypse. So, uh, yeah, it's been going strong. Now, now there there is another new card on the block, a Frilled Mystic, but I don't like that as much. I don't think it's as splashable. It's otherwise it does the same thing as Mystic Snake. Mm -hmm. I don't think it has that surprise factor that you get when you set a snake pops out of somewhere and counters someone's spell. I think that's much more interesting. 
because it makes you wonder exactly how a snake has mystical powers and can <laughs> spells. Um, I kind of wonder that as well. That's more interesting than just another generic merfolky kind of Semic card, you know, in my book. But I, I think uh, th this is th when I think of flash creatures, th this is what I think of something super efficiently costed that does something as a trap card effectively that you can spring on your opponents and either act as a blocker with, with something like death touch or counter a spell or do something unexpected, you know? Mm hmm. And, and yeah, you're, you're right. That, that is a very interesting card in itself is the fact you're right. You are able to splash that a little bit better um, in three or four, even four color decks, depending on your mana. And the fact that you have that two, two body, like I said, does, basically make it a hard counter spell plus the ability to flash in a 2-2 bear so i mean it's just it's a very valuable card in the right instances it costs a lot yes but you end up getting a lot of value out of it too so I mean, it, it's it's a cost trade-off you're gonna win some you're gonna lose some but it's still just a really solid card uh, yeah i think a 2-2 two, two for four uh, is is better than people might think it is in a situation where you're uh, where you need to counter a spell because you know the going rate for counter spells that aren't counter spell is like three mana for a hard counter sometimes with an upside so adding another generic to that to getting just a hard counter with a 2-2 body i think that's pretty pretty efficient in terms of casting cost in many ways mm -hmm. even compared to some of the monstrous new counter spells that they've been printing lately yeah, you're never going to beat Force of Will, obviously, but... No, you're never going to... Well, actually, mana, I think Mana Drain is technically, in my opinion, more powerful. I mean, there's that debate between whether Force of Will is more powerful or whether Mana Drain is more powerful. And I think Mana Drain is because it basically lets you steal someone's mana out of their spell. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that argument will go around forever on which one's the most bestest counterspell. But I think Mystic Snake is up there when it comes to counterspells. Yep. So that'll actually lead me into my next card. You reminded me that I actually played this card last night in our one of our games with our normal playgroup, and that card is Jeskai Barricade. I mean, again, this is one of many white uh, creatures that have the ability to have flash and um, can do pretty much the same thing. There's also White Man Lion and a couple others that do the exact same thing. Jeskai Barricade is a 0-4 wall for one and a white. It has flash, defender, and when Jeskai Barricade enters the battlefield, you may return another target creature you control to its owner's hand. So again, you can utilize this um, any time you can play an instant, and you can save one of your other creatures from destruction. So I flashed this in last night when another player was targeting my commander, and I was able to get this card in there to be able to not only protect my commander, but also protect my, my uh, life and my other resources. So... I just feel like having these kinds of card and cards in hand is really nice because they have a ton of utility because not only can you protect your things by sacrificing this instead, but you can also just flash it in on someone that's end step and it's a zero four wall for two. That's really good, especially on turn two or three when you're trying to build up your board state and make sure people aren't getting chip damage on in on you. So it has a wide variety of uses. And then if you can start flashing things in, well, I mean, I mean, sorry, if, if you can start blinking or recurring this card, you can start doing all sorts of crazy shenanigans, which is something that White and Azorius do really well. Yeah, I think uh, there's uh, playing out a surprise wall 
uh, especially as a delaying tactic, is never something to be scoffed at. Plus, uh, you can always stick it in your uh, uh, Arcades the Strategist deck and, and dome someone for some damage with a wall if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. And, and the key word here is may. So if you don't have another creature return to uh, to your hand, you can still flash the barricade in on someone's end step and you still have a 0-4 wall. Whereas some other cards uh, that I can think of in this category do not have that ability where you absolutely have to return something. So in, in these cases, it's really nice to be able to have that may ability stapled onto a two-mana creature that's a 0-4. Yeah. All right. So, Ryan, what's your next card? Uh, for my next uh, card over here, I'm going to talk about Sigarda's Aid. Um, Sigarda's Aid is an enchantment. Uh, it's a one drop, costing one white mana. Fancy. Um, it states, you may cast aura and equipment spells as though they had flash. So, it's an enchantment that gives all aura and equipment cards you can play flash. Um... And whenever an equipment enters the battlefield under control, you may attach it to target creature you control. Mm -hmm. So what this lets you do is do some stuff that normally you can't do um, with equipment or with auras. Um, Aside from stuff like cranial plating or other abilities that lets you instant speed stuff onto your creature, normally equipment and sorceries in that realm play in the play in the sorceries category you know sorcery speed category Mm -hmm. but um with sigarda's aid not only does it make equip costs free so that you don't have to pay for them but you could feasibly swing at someone with a creature and drop a loxodon warhammer into play at instant speed right before you smack them and and deal lifelink damage to them Mm -hmm. and uh that that is definitely something they wouldn't see see coming and you can do it for the cost of one mana to play this enchantment. Uh, obviously, if you play this enchantment, people are probably going to start eyeing you weirdly because they're probably going to think you're going to flash some kind of enchantment into play. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also nice because a lot of these enchantments that make things you know, like indestructible or whatever are more expensive if they're flashable, right? But mm-hmm. this basically gives any aura flash. So if you think about it, that's a whole lot of interesting stuff. You could flash into play an O-Ring on someone's creature or um, a number of other kinds of like enchantment control effects, um, be able to stick them on something at instant speed, which is another thing that you generally can't do unless it allows you to do it. So it enables a lot of uh, fast strategies. And that's also why it's like a $5 card right now, <laughs> is because it's really good. Uh, it yeah. got reprinted in Commander Legends. Um, yeah, it's it's. I use it in my Wyleth deck. Uh, it's great because it allows you to get around equip costs, but also because you could swing at someone with Wyleth and then uh, drop a Black Blade Reforged onto the field at instant speed and snap it onto him. Mm. <laughs> no one would see that coming. I mean, I I would now that uh, now that you told me about it. So I'm. I've talked to you about what I want to do at some point. <laughs> I've never had both of them in my hand at once, unfortunately. I've never actually been able to really get a good play out of out of it yet. Yeah, um, that might change. I, I have been able to stick auras onto things at instant speed, which has been pretty fun. Like, say you want to give a creature protection from creatures, huh? Flash it into play. That's pretty fun. But uh, 
No, I haven't. It, it's just one card in the 99, unfortunately. I can't stack four of them. No. Nope. Uh, otherwise, I would. All right, so that uh, actually fits in perfectly with my third card on the list. Uh, my third card is an enchantment, an aura enchantment, called Benevolent Blessing, which was also reprinted in Commander Legends. It is an enchantment aura, it costs one and a white, and has flash. You enchant creature, and when Benevolent Blessing enters the battlefield, choose a color. Enchanted creature has protection from the chosen color. This effect doesn't remove auras and equipment you control that are already attached to it. So, the way I look at Benevolent Blessing is that, yes, while it is somewhat narrow, especially on mo most EDH tables, where you're going to probably be dealing with four to all five colors of the color pie, the fact that you can instantly give a creature of yours protection from a color is not to be underestimated, honestly. <clears throat> I mean, honestly, it may not be the best combat trick, but if one of your opponents is trying to utilize, a, let's say, a black kill spell, something like murder, we'll just go with that. All of a sudden, you can flash up Benevolent Blessing. It protects your creature and gives it perpetual protection from black, for instance. So all of a sudden, now it can't be blocked by anything black. It basically has Hexproof from black. And it just, all of a sudden, for two mana, you've effectively created a more powerful creature. So, yes, while its upside is somewhat limited, especially when you're playing opponents with the multicolored decks... I still feel like for two mana in a deck that, like, well, like what you mentioned with Sigarda's Aid in there, if you're looking for a low-cost enchantment that you can just flash in at instant speed for low mana, I feel like this is a really solid option for the decks that really want to do that, especially Enchantress decks where you're going to be able to cantrip off something like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. Yeah, and I mean, I, I have used it a couple of times uh, back when we were doing Commander Legends Sealed. It did a decent job. Obviously, it's not the most uh, <laughs> the most flexible card, but I do think it has some value in the right decks. So that's why I have that as my number three sneaky card on the list for today. All right, so right. Are we uh, are we ordering these in terms of most best to least best? No, not really. Most Just... bestest to <laughs> not so bestest or are we doing this just arbitrarily because i'm just, just doing, doing things this. arbitrarily yeah, right now I, i'm just listing out random cards that i think are i i have no uh no list here this is effectively just me talking about cards i really enjoy or at least i've found some utility playing so again folks this is not a definitive ranking we may do multiple uh parts on this series we're just going to talk about some more cards here today for the rest of this episode that we really like, maybe in a week or two we'll think about uh, doing another episode where we'll talk about even more cards. Obviously, there's just untold number of cards, instants in the game, or things that can have flash that we can play, we can talk about here. So, again, there's just no end of stuff to talk about. So, Ryan, what would be your uh, third card for the episode? Yeah, the next card I'm going to talk about is a, a real funny one. Uh, maybe on. funny for... <laughs> Funny for uh, for you, the person playing it, maybe not as funny for the person uh, on the receiving end of it. I don't like where this is going. <laughs> I'm talking about the uh, instant for one black mana, Tainted Strike. Oh, God. Uh, from I knew you were going to go there. Scars oh. of Meriden. No. Uh, so, uh, Tainted Strike is an instant spell that uh, it says target creature gets plus one, plus zero, and gains infect until end of turn and um it's quite simple in what it does but you got to really think about what giving something infected instant speed 
uh, until end of turn what that really does in terms of gameplay. And mm -hmm. um, this is a card really suited to um, surprise doming an opponent and knocking them out of the game, game like in one blow uh, if, if you set it up correctly. So let's say that uh, one of the most well-known ones I've seen it uses uh, is someone playing Yargle either in the 99 or as their commander. So because Yargol has nine power, right? And it's mm -hmm. relatively inexpensive for the power that you get on that creature. Now, Tainted Strike gives Yargol plus one to its power, making it 10 power. And if you swing at someone with Yargol, normally that's, yeah, that's going to hurt if it makes contact with them unblocked, right? Mm -hmm. But you play this thing out of nowhere, and all of a sudden Yargol has 10 power, and also has an effect, and knocks a person out of the game immediately. Um, mm -hmm. That's it. Unless someone counters Tainted Strike or has some kind of removal on hand, they're gone. They're dead. Like, straight up. Yep. Uh, I, I mean, those are extreme circumstances, I guess. But, I mean, in a, in a deck that can run black and isn't necessarily a Volrath deck... Uh, or a uh, Voltron deck. In my case, I I I, I use one in uh, my uh, Volrath, uh, the Shape Stealer deck. Volrath Voltron. <laughs> Volrath Voltron, I suppose. Um, you you can, I guess I know it wouldn't really be a, a Voltron deck. Come think of it, but he is a really big giant baddie who you can slap this sucker on there and give someone a bunch of poison counters on there temporarily. Mm -hmm. um, but in any kind of deck that can run black and, and you have a high power creature or let's say you're running uh if you want to be really evil you're running uh grevin predator captain and okay yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, and at uh like instant speed you're like you give uh grevin his uh like t double his power or something like that and slap his tainted strike on someone and uh knock him right out into the uh, ether sphere mm -hmm. um pretty hilarious uh obviously the person who you play this one on, it's not it's it's not gonna think it's that funny. <laughs> but uh you you gotta you gotta get had by this card at least once. Yeah, uh, I I have actually killed another player with this card, but the funny thing about that story was that I was not the one attacking them. Uh the player across from me actually attacked the the player, this player in question who had a very advanced board state early on in the game and was going to be attacked for 11 damage with a flyer or something. Well, I hear I'm sitting there with one black mana open. I don't want that player with the advanced board state to be able to go anywhere. And I paid the one and played Tainted Strike, and they were out just like that. So yeah. don't underestimate the power of this card. But yeah, if, if you're on the receiving end of this, it sucks. Yeah, just like you were saying, you can be even more devious with it if you because it says target creature, not target creature you control. Because mm -hmm. uh, it, it doesn't specify, you can slap it on someone else as their uh, other some other attacking creature as as they're attacking another player. Let's say they've got a big baddie on the field, and you're like, mm, "That other player is dangerous. I'm going to do something that's hilarious. Drop tainted strike on the field, and that player unexpectedly knocks out another player, just like that." You know, I uh, suppose you could actually use that to save your own life, too, depending on the power of the creature that's attacking you. As long as the, the creature that's attacking you, let's say you're like five or six life or something, and your opponent has a power seven creature out there or something, 
I suppose if you couldn't block that creature, but you can target it, you could put Tainted Strike on there while it's attacking you, so you take 8 poison damage, but you take no actual life point damage. If they don't have any way to deal with that, you could actually save yourself in some scenarios. Hmm. I guess in that sense, it could almost be like a mono-black fog that only targets a single attacker and uh, would obviously only work on an attacker that had power of 9 or less. Or 8 uh, or less, yeah. Or, yeah, or 8 or less or whatever. But, um, I mean, it, it, it could be something. I mean, it still, poison damage is combat damage, so I, I guess you don't get around that loophole, but it's just interesting to think about how you could use this in a very narrow situation to potentially protect yourself from losing life, especially if you know your opponent doesn't have any way to like proliferate or yeah. do anything with those poison counters. Yeah, I think in a magical sort of Christmas land kind of scenario, I think if someone is attacking you with a giant beater or maybe like their Voltron commander and you are will die, then yeah, and I think in a corner case you could play Tainted Strike and save yourself for one more turn. I don't know if I've ever heard of anyone doing that, but actually that's, that's a good point. You probably could do that. You could yeah. even save another player, theoretically, as well. I suppose you could, yeah. So um, next time you have Wyleth out there with Team Battle Rage on him, <laughs> um, or uh, on them, excuse me. Uh, yeah, next time you swing at me with Wyleth and they have uh, you know extra power, I can potentially use Tainted Strike <laughs> Tainted to protect Strike. myself. I can't run Tainted Strike in my Wyleth deck, well, but that'd be I, hilarious if someone I was would. like, hmm, someone has a Voltron commander right now going in for the, uh, in for the, in, in through the kill. Um, let's say I have a sword of, uh, what was it? The sword that gives the creature Myriad as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> And oh, I God. have a Sigarda, a, Sigarda's aid on, so I flash oh, a sword no. into play and someone no. <laughs> <laughs> and you play a tainted strike and you kill everyone at well, the table <laughs> i think that only I, I i don't think that would actually work i think that only targets one creature it so with... it it wouldn't copy the it, it would not affect the copies at all oh really even no. if it's because it says target creature gets plus one plus yeah zero but 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 it has to be that one target creature and then the next effect would be doing the myriad so all of a sudden you're creating co you're, you're creating but vanilla the, the copies myriad... Does it create a copy of the creature as its current state after no, no, the incident? No, it, no. It, it would create an un, uh, unchanged vanilla copy of that creature. Because it is until end of turn rather than until, like... Yeah, but it. The, the, I don't think the rules work that way. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know. Okay. But there's a lot of things you can do with that card, just oh, yeah, suffice definitely. to say. And a lot of them are kind of hilarious, at least for the person playing the card. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm going to move on to my next card. Um, this is something I think I've only resolved once, but it has a lot of really good applications. And that card is an instant for one blue called Sapphire Charm. And Sapphire Charm is a modal spell. It's one of a uh, cycle of charm cards from the Mirage uh, set, I believe. And you can choose one. Target player draws a card at the beginning of the next turn's upkeep or target creature and opponent controls phases out, or target creature gains flying until end of turn. Now, I've used this card, I think, one time to draw a card, but when you look at the face of this, this is actually a really good beat stick in the right scenarios. Honestly, the fact that it is a modal spell for one blue, it can be used at instant speed, is actually quite terrifying, especially in the right scenarios. 
So I'm gonna break it down here really quickly. Obviously you can target yourself or someone else. You can give yourself uh, another card on the next turn's upkeep. Doesn't have to be your upkeep. So you can do this on someone else's turn or uh, on the end step prior to your turn. Get an extra card. Again, for one blue, you're effectively playing opt. You're getting the cantrip off of this. That's not, honestly, even a one mana opt in EDH is not a bad card. So honestly, you're getting a lot of value there. Or target creature and opponent controls phases out. So, if Ryan, if you have Wyleth mm. and you play Tainted Strike, all of a sudden I can play Sapphire Charm and force Wyleth to phase out. Or save your own creature. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, Sapphire Charm just has a lot of ways to be able to protect your stuff or get. Well, actually, no. It has to be something uh, an opponent controls. Oh, but, dang it. But ah, that would be such a good card. But again, you can have it be a political card where if someone's going to destroy Wyleth, let's say one of the other players in our playgroup is trying to destroy Wyleth and I don't want Wyleth to go away. I can use Sapphire Charm to be able to save them from destruction uh, yeah, by phasing out. There's a card called uh, Fodalian something or other, which can phase out a creature as part of a tap ability. And then there's mm -hmm. another, there's an enchantment that you can attach to a creature that also can phase out a creature. Yeah, Teferi's Veil, I do believe, is, is what that card's called. Uh, yeah, and, uh, well, though, that one's, I think, the, isn't that the, I think that's the mass phasing one. The uh, one that no, I think, I think that's the one where you, for two blue you phase something, a uh, creature up. Anyway. Or a uh, target creature gains flying until end of turn. Again, if you're trying to get in some extra points of oh. damage um, and you need a creature with flying, whether your opponent doesn't have any flying blockers, or if you need a flying blocker to potentially block something that is going to ruin your day, all of a sudden Sapphire Charm for one mana is going to allow you to be able to block that hmm. creature. So, I mean, the, really on its face, it may be unassuming, but Sapphire Charm just packs a huge punch because all three modes are very, very good in a lot of scenarios. And honestly, it's the best of the cycle and really one of the best modal cards, in my opinion. Uh, let's see, is this from uh, Mirage? Yeah, from Mirage. Uh, I think from Visions, I think, is where Funeral Charm comes from, which is kind of my favorite one, personally. Because okay, it's, so let's go that. to that one. So uh, yeah. Funeral Charm. Uh, Funeral Charm, it was reprinted in time in the Time Spiral Time Shifted. Um, I like it. It's pretty simple. I'm not sure if it's necessarily the best thing for EDH, but I, I really like the card. It's basically, you choose one. It's one black. Uh, target player discards a card, or target creature gets plus two, plus negative one until end of turn, or target creature gains Swamp Walk until end of turn. No, it, was, like, it was also reprinted in the uh, Mystery Booster as a foil. Oh. So that's, oh, that's really foil. nice. That's kind of cool. Whereas Sapphire Charm was reprinted in um, in the Mystery Boosters as well, but oh, not really? in foil. I actually uh, got my Sapphire Charm out of the, the box of uh, yeah. Mystery Boosters that I opened last year. The fact that both of these were reprinted um, in, in actually twice for Funeral Charm and then once for Sapphire Charm probably indicates that they're the best ones of the cycle i look at the other charm cycles from mirage uh, uh, visions and they're uh some of them are pretty bad <laughs> like really really bad uses for one or two mana all right um, so funeral charm um what what's your analysis on this card i i like funeral charm um i i think that it's the first ability target player discards a card isn't quite as good in edh as it is in other formats unless you're <laughs> playing a discard deck or you really hate another player <laughs> you want to make them mad uh or if they the, only the have second... one card in their hand and you force so them to discard the something second really good. one the second one target creature gets plus two negative one until end of turn is deceptively useful in corner cases so yes it could 
boost your creature's power, say if you want to dome someone. Let's say if you want to play a funeral charm and then, then double up with the teamer battle rage right after it. Mm -hmm. That's one possible use for it. But it could also be used to remove a one-drop creature. Let's mm -hmm. say you really hate someone's mana dork across the table. You're looking at that elf and you're like, I hate that thing. I'm going to get rid of it. <laughs> Funeral charm it. Negative, plus two, negative one, it dies. And also because it's plus two, negative one, they can't be like, oh, I give it indestructible. Ha ha. Nope. Unless they can hexproof that creature, it's dead. Mm -hmm. uh, or you could use it uh, on... It gets around it. You could also use that on something where it's like it has more toughness than oh, the yeah. power of the creature yeah. that you're going with, and you know your creature is going to die or something or has indestructible, but you can the fact that you can start messing with another creature's stats, especially bringing down its yeah. toughness, is never a bad thing, especially in combat. Yeah, yeah. And this is the bane of... Uh, Funeral Charm would be the the bane of, of any, um, like, um, what is it? Uh, ah, goodness. No, I can't remember. The various... Uh, uh, quick uh, trample uh, creatures that Red has, like uh, oh, the ball lightning, ball lightning, yeah, yeah ball lightning, and uh, spark elemental, and um, other things like that, and also uh, spark Kamal, trooper, fighter, things like that. This yeah. is Kamal's arch enemy right here. <laughs> He's basically just tap one to kill Kamal Pit Fighter <laughs> at instant speed. Kind uh, of a kind of a dated reference there, but I, I think we get. Yeah, it. Uh, Kamal's a little old, but. I think he's relevant. I mean, they reprint. Well, they didn't reprint. They made a new Kamal commander for Commander Legends, who mm -hmm. isn't, who's not quite like his other two iterations of Kamal. So, I mean, he's the kids probably know about him. Maybe. I mean, yeah, yep. that is kind of an old reference, but a nineteen-year-old reference. But I mean, you know, yeah. But, Are you saying we're you know, old, Ryan? Yeah. I'm, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and uh, as far as that last bit there, uh, Swamp Walk in most games of EDH is actually not a useless ability. Like it's like yeah. most most uh, land walk abilities can kind of be uh, useless in some cases. But I actually think in certain cases, or in a lot of cases, honestly, uh, land walk can actually be deceptively underrated in our format, especially when we're talking about something like Swamp Walk or Island Walk or Forest yeah. Walk. I think it is, those are oftentimes underrated. I think that people forget that you're playing a four-person pod. That means that three, uh, it, I think that the walk abilities are better the more players you have, unlike um, uh, some of the other ones like Fear and Intimidate or whatever, which can be more problematic the more different colors that people are packing, because those ones are rely on, oh, I can't be blocked unless that person controls this creature. Similarly, Swamp Walk, is unconditional and blockable as long as a player has a swamp in play um and it's not a basic swamp either if they have uh, a shock land in play or something like that you can steamroll them too and because there are three other players that means three more chances that a player could have be running black um so it basically can uh, yeah it's only until end of turn but let's say you want to dome someone and you're worried about that. Let's say you have a, a tainted strike also in your hand at the same mm -hmm. time, and you want to unblockable dome a fellow black player for With 10 Yargle. effect damage <laughs> for the win. Yar Yargle. Let's say you want to funeral charm your Yargle to the wind. Yeah, you can you can do that. Yeah. Um, I think its first ability is weaker in Commander. Its last ability is stronger, and I think its middle one is kind of neutral. I think mm -hmm. overall, super aggressive costed stuff like this that do like upsides i think they're a little bit better in in like standard or 
um, mm -hmm. whatever environment. But I do think that Funeral Charm and also the Sapphire Charm you mentioned, I think those are both playable, actually. And I think, um, I think that phasing out an opponent's creature is um, better than, than people would think, because that's majorly annoying. It basically takes it out of commission until their next turn. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. Um, I like charms of different yeah. kinds. I like the two-color charms, three-color charm cycles. I like those. Yeah, so uh, speaking of charms, I actually have another couple I want to talk about here, <clears throat> but I'm going to actually start with Evolution Charm. And this hmm. one was first printed in Planar Chaos and is actually due to be reprinted here in uh, Time Spiral Remastered as well as in Commander 2020. And Evolution Charm is another one of those uh, charms for instant <clears throat> one in one in a green, and I think it's actually deceptively good. Um, so you can choose one. You can search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it into your hand, and then shuffle your library. Uh, return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand, or target creature gains flying until end of turn. Yeah, so I'm going to go over quickly over the three modes here. Yeah, so again, the first one, which is searching library for a basic land card. I just, re I just released an episode a few days ago about uh, land-to-hand-based artifact fetches. And uh, all, all the artifacts allow you to be able to go tutor a basic land out of your deck and be able to put it into your hand. And I, especially in green, where you want to be ramping anyway, if you start running out of gas at some point, like in the middle turns of the game, and you really need more mana, the fact that you can play this for one and a green at instant speed on someone else's end step means that you can go find the land you need. And again, it's a basic land card, so it doesn't even have to be a forest. If you're playing a three or four color deck, especially and you're getting land screwed, let's say, all of a sudden you can go find that mountain or that island that you've really been needing to put into your hand, all of a sudden you don't miss a land drop on your next turn. So I feel like that's the, the land-to-hand cards are actually deceptively good in giving you <clears throat> card advantage, even though they don't really, they don't directly ramp you like a rampant growth, but they do provide <clears throat> you with the selection that you need at instant speed in this case. So I feel like it's almost as good in a lot of situations. Second mode is returning target creature from your graveyard to hand. Again, in some green sometimes struggles to be able to do this, especially uh, in regards to things like white and black, which have a lot more of the reanimation effects. And the fact that you're able to get a creature from your uh, from your graveyard back to your hand, I mean, if if you lose your big giant beater all of a sudden, I mean, I, I'm not necessarily talking about Crater of Behemoth, but if if you can get just some giant creature back into your hand or some good creature in your hand all of a sudden you can play that again that can open up so many avenues for you in green and it only costs two mana for you to be able to do this and the third mode is actually not bad either again just like with sapphire charm you target creature gains flying until end of turn you can use this offensively or defensively and again green really struggles with flying it absolutely hates flying that's why there's so many reach cards in green but if you absolutely need to block something with flying Evolution Charm may be able to put you over the top or may allow you to be able to swing in with damage where you might otherwise not be able to. So, I mean, honestly, yeah, the more I look at this card, the more I really enjoy it. It's just all three modes can be honestly really good most times. Yeah, and I I really do think that the charms in general are underrated, at least the old these older charms. Um, the uh, I think a lot of people actually like um, the, the two-color charms. Um, charms that are 
that are found. The, um, the guild uh, charms, or, yeah. Yeah, the guild-based charms. Uh, I think people are maybe a little bit less keen on some of the three-color ones. They are a little bit trickier to get out. I oh, yeah, definitely. Like some, I do like some of them, though. Some of them are a little iffier on, but I like, I like some of those as well. Uh, this one's interesting, the evolution charm, now that I remember it, because mm-hmm. it's uh, the final ability is actually, a, this was printed in uh, Planar Chaos, is actually a color-shifted ability, not one that you'd typically find in, in green. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe that this isn't actually, this, looking at the, the card art from the Planar Chaos uh, print, it doesn't look like it's actually a color-shifted card border, but there aren't a whole lot of cards that give flying in green that's not necessarily um green's thing it's more like reach and doing damage to flying creatures mm-hmm. so this is it's kind of an i wouldn't call it a rare thing to do is it giving flying to things but i would say it's pretty uncommon uh, to give things that kind of evasion um and and the first ability the the point you made about the instant speed uh bland tutoring um, yeah, I, I agree with you. That's that's also why I like Cultivate, even though that is kind of like a ramp, but it's not really a ramp because you sacrifice the land. That's I think you're thinking of Harrow, actually. Oh, no, actually, I'm thinking of Crop Rotation. Crop actually. Rotation, yeah. Now, I got it. Uh, not Cultivate, not Harrow, Crop Rotation. Uh, crop Rotation is unusual in that it doesn't give you an extra... It's not really ramping you, but it's effectively tutoring for anything so you can sack a forest and then a tutor into play a shock land or even like an abur duel or whatever mm-hmm. pops up in its place and it's untapped um i think that these land tutoring effects like that uh, even though this one is a basic land kind of one are great because they can fix mana shortfalls that you have uh in in your mana base especially when like you mentioned i didn't even think about um uh, searching for one right before your turn on someone else's end, the beginning of someone else's end step that's that's really quite clever actually mm-hmm. it's honestly how i've used these cards a couple of times i actually run this in my titania protector of argoth deck which already has a lot of ways <clears throat> to be able to find lands but again yeah. sometimes i run out of gas middle of the game and that that deck requires me to sacrifice a lot of lands to be able to do things so the yeah. fact that I'm able to find a land, guarantee that I have a land in my hand, means I can play another land and potentially do something else like a constant yeah. miss or just, you know, uh, another harrow, something like that, where all of a sudden I'm ensuring that I'm hitting that next land drop, especially if I'm not able to draw into as many lands as I need. So it's just, it's a really sneaky, good card in a lot of decks, especially in decks that run colors other than green that may uh, struggle to ramp in some situations. Yeah, yeah, exactly um okay so yeah. what's uh what's next on your list uh well my next card is a is a card that uh i'm new to playing but that has been around for a while and it's not like uh known as like the um the most standout card of its category in terms of visibility but i think it's gotten more visibility at least from what i've what i've seen uh the card is uh, twilight's call uh, it costs four generic Four colorless, I mean, and actually, no, it's generic. Uh, and two black mana. It's a sorcery, and it states um, you may cast Twilight's Call at any time. You could cast an instant if you pay two generic mana more to cast it. And then below that, it states each player returns all creature cards from his or her graveyard to the battlefield. Um, oh, that so, sounds broken. Yeah. So it's one of those cards that's 
compared to all the other Master Animation cards, a lot of them being really expensive, this one is like a dollar, uh, even though it's like only been reprinted once, and it was reprinted in a really niche um, dual deck. Mm-hmm. So this is not like uh, the most well-known card out there. I think maybe more people are, are aware of it now. Um, but it's old. It's old as heck. It's from Invasion. So <laughs> uh, over 20 years old now. Uh, 21-year-old card that is every bit as powerful as some of the other big ticket reanimating reanimation cards mm-hmm. um like uh goodness it's not it's not quite as powerful as rise of the dark realms which i know i was talking about earlier which brings all yeah. creatures from all graveyards on your side of the battlefield but if it's you put this card in, yeah yeah but if you put this card in the right deck where you're throwing a lot of things in the bin whether you're playing delve whether you're playing let's say a cdc brood tyrant where you're self-milling yourself all of a sudden you're gonna be gaining a lot more value off this uh than your opponents are unless they're playing similar strategy yeah if you um the reason I selected this actually not doesn't have to do with the fact that it's necessarily underplayed or or not well known, but it has more to do with the fact of that first uh, paragraph on Toilet's Call where it says you may cast it any time you could cast an instant if you pay two more to cast it. So that does make it a instead of just a six drop, a monstrous eight drop, but you have to really think what can you do with an instant that reanimates the entire board? Um, most mass reanimation spells are sorcery speed, as far as I'm aware of. Is uh, Rise of the Dark Realms, is that sorcery speed or is that instant? Actually? Yeah, it, it's a sorcery. Yeah. Um, oh, crap. Why am I, I can't remember the names of the other ones, but there's also ones that uh, reanimate your graveyard. Uh, I, I forget the one that sacrifices all the creatures in play. And oh, well, Living back, End? Uh, living End, yeah. And then there's uh, there's a couple other cards that do that that have different permutations. There's but, even just like Animate Dead in the standard reanimate yeah, and things like that, which are, yeah, ones. single target. But yeah, you're, you're right. This The fact you're able to bring back all the creatures from your graveyard at instant speed is not to be underestimated. It's kind of ridiculous, actually, and and it's what makes it different from a sorcery is it's something that people can't see coming, and it also lets you play around with some pretty interesting tricks. And one of the biggest tricks for it is to drop six mana on this thing, on the end step of the person's turn, uh, previous to your turn, which means that you drop everyone's creatures from the graveyards into the battlefield, but because it's dropped into play on the end step of the previous turn it gives all your creatures pseudo haste yeah they're now all ready to attack which gives you a massive advantage uh, and breaks the symmetry of this card a bit because you have the first shot which with, with the creatures that you have to play before mm-hmm. any of them get a chance to use this the, their creatures and also you're probably playing black and you've probably also filled your graveyard or at least have a lot of nasty things in your graveyard whereas they might be playing an Enchantress deck and might not have a ton of really nasty creatures, or or they might be playing like a no creature spell is it spell slinger deck and just end up getting completely massacred. So, yeah, I mean, it, unless they're playing like some weird combo, but yeah, and and, and this even works in response to something like <clears throat> Tormod's Crypt too, where all of a sudden in response to the trigger or the tap trigger there, you can activate this card so your creatures don't get exiled from your graveyard. So. Yeah. The only, the only thing this is weak to would be Bojuka Bog, unfortunately, oh, since yeah, you can't yeah. respond to that. But 
again, um, yeah, it, this is a very powerful card. I've actually, I'm not sure if I've heard of this card, so I'm going to have to look into this. Yeah, and and you can't respond to it because it's a, uh, a play a land ability? Yeah, it's yeah. ETB on Bajookabog. But uh, other than that, any other kind of uh, you know, card or exi- graveyard exiling things, you can respond to them. Even like and, a, a Planeswalker, even even that new uh, yeah. Tybalt Cosmic Imposter card from Call Time, you can still uh, respond yeah. to the uh, activation of the minus 7 ability or minus exactly. 8 ability that it has where you, all of a sudden you can activate this and you can bring all the creatures back from your graveyard yeah. on on the trigger, in response to the trigger. Yeah, and there's um, there's other cards in white and black that do another thing I'm going to talk about where it'll be like, it'll say on the card, the card will be Sorcerer Instant Speed, and it'll say, bring all creatures back to the battlefield that from your graveyard that died this turn. White does this, black does this. Twilight's Call can actually do that. It does it a little bit more expensively, but it can be used in that situation where you can cast it in response to someone board wiping you, or let's say someone being really mean and doing a targeted wipe of your field. Um, you can then be like, well, I'm a Twilight's Call, everything back into play, plus some extras I had lying in the yard. Uh, much to their chagrin, you have now, they spent one card to wipe out your board, but then you spent one card to bring back your board plus everything else you had lying in there. So uh, you probably gained card advantage in that situation over mm-hmm. the other player. Um, it's an expensive way to do that, but this card is, a, is really versatile despite being kind of expensive. I mean, maybe people would look at it up front and be like, well, that's a straight, strictly worse uh, Rise of the Dark Realms. Um, the difference is Rise of the Dark Realms is like an $18 card, and this is $0.99. Cents. A buck, yeah. Yeah, buck, and um, it actually is a little more flexible than Rise of the Dark Realms. That's a that requires a big, a big amount of mana to put into play, and it's going to be sorcery speed, and it's also going to be something that you're not going to be able to shoot off like this um, and give all your creatures pseudo haste. You know, yeah, it, it is a symmetrical effect, but black is a master at breaking symmetry when it comes to nearly everything, but especially when it comes to mass reanimation, um, you're going to have a, a better deal out of this than your opponents, unless you're facing off with another reanimator deck, which in which case that could get really interesting really quick. If you play this card, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, speaking of, uh, getting creatures back from the graveyard or, you know, doing things at instant speed. I'm actually going to talk about something that I've resolved once or twice, and it's actually surprisingly effective. And that card is Renegade's Getaway. It's an instant from Ether Revolt. And uh, according to Scryfall, it was also printed in Mystery Booster. And currently the Ether Revolt copy is worth two cents. So uh, Renegade's Getaway is an instant for two and a black. And it reads, target permanent gains indestructible until end of turn. Create a 1-1 colorless servo artifact creature token. And this card is really nice because not only can you make something indestructible, but you also get a 1-1 servo friend out of it. And again, we're looking at uh, keywords on here and the keyword being permanent. So not creature, not just artifact or enchantment, target permanent. This can even include your lands. So all of a sudden, if you're getting board swept or if there's some sort of uh, targeted removal, again, I'm going to use murder here. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, all of a sudden, if someone tries to target your thing, or if someone's board wiping you, well, all of a sudden you have a way to make your tar- your permanent indestructible. So I mean, the fact is, is that I feel like this card is criminally underplayed, honestly, because it just gives you that value, that uh, indestructible ability. Which again, in in a lot of cases, some some of those types of cards in black require you to pay one to black already. So all of a sudden you're ga- you're paying one to black to make a creature indestructible in those cases, but all of a sudden for one extra black or oh, sorry one extra generic here, you're able to make target permanent indestructible as well as getting a servo friend, which can, in the right cases can actually be useful. So I feel like this card, while it is a little bit high cost, and again that can be a problem with it, and part of the reason why it's not played so much. But I feel like, again, in the right scenarios, if you have three mana open, all of a sudden you can protect one of your permanents, say an artifact or enchantment especially, not just a creature, and you can uh, get that servo out of it. So I, I feel like this card really, uh, people should are, people are definitely sleeping on this card, and I think uh, that's just wrong, honestly. Yeah, and I think uh, giving a permanent indestructible is one of those things that's not quite as common as giving a creature indestructible, and not something that people think about as much. But um, yeah, creature-based board wipes are more common than other kinds of wipes but there are quite a number of board wipes out there that are played in commander that say destroy all non-land permanents for example or destroy all enchantments or destroy all um artifacts um or god forbid destroy all lands and if you're one of the players playing a card like that um aka cycling uh, armageddon i think or no uh, yeah, I think it was... No, it's not Armageddon. It's not Armageddon. It Armageddon. No, it's, it's definitely cycling, not Armageddon. Cycling the one thing uh, and wiping out all lands in play and leaving everything else around on the field. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you're bad. You're bad. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I'm speaking as a player who used to play uh, Yokel Hops in his uh, Mono Red deck, um, which had the effect of completely annihilating the entire board, including the entire land base of everyone. Yeah, so it's, it, that's, that's one of those, th- those are the kinds of cards where I think you really need to talk to your play group ahead of time and see if they're okay with you playing that, because otherwise, if they're not ready for that, those games can really bog down. So yeah, yeah. this just but, works on all permanents, yeah. and, and that, that makes it so good. And, and because, okay, you, obviously protecting a land is not going to be as common here. You're probably not going to be really scared if someone drops a uh, uh, a ghost quarter down and unless you're you're running like uh guy's uh, cradle uh sarah's uh, sanctum cabal coffers and you're you're and someone tries to destroy your cabal coffers then yeah i think this might be that would be probably good play to get hey, that acidic slime is a major green quote-unquote staple in this format and that can destroy a land so yeah, yeah. this works against that too it's not going to be as common, I think, in some cases, as someone dropping, though, uh, like an enchantment wipe. Let's say uh, there, there's a green and white that just uh, cleanse the board of enchantments or artifacts. Uh, and, and and red, there's a ton of cards like Vandal Blast that are capable of just going through. Shatterstorm, too. Yes. And if you have a mana rock or an enchantment that are absolutely vital, something really expensive that's a linchpin to your strategy then that would be a lot better than watching that thing die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so again, that card is Renegade's Getaway. So Ryan, what's next on your list? Uh, I have a card, which is a good old-fashioned stable. Uh, it's been around since... Eh, it was first printed in M11, and it's really, you can think of it as basically a functional reprint of an older card. Um the card I'm talking about is Reverberate. 
It's a red card that costs two red mana, and it's an instant. And it states, uh, copy target instant or sorcery spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. Now, that's now, kind of a blue effect, isn't it? Uh, it used to be. Used to be. Uh, copying used to be primarily a blue effect, a.k.a. Uh, twin cast was the blue card that used to do it. But uh, red copying spells is actually older than blue's ability to do that. And it actually bounced from red to blue and then right around the dawn of the 2010s kind of found its way back into red's camp again and i think now it's kind of been established as more of a red thing or an is it thing in many cases um uh, twin cast for example is basically a functional reverberate except it's in blue um but reverberates more of a functional reprint of fork i think it's a a, a completely functional copy but uh, fork might be slightly different i I don't have Fork up on my screen right now. Uh, fork is more expensive than Reverberate because <laughs> it, it, they haven't reprinted Fork in ages. Yeah, after right. the reserved list buyout, Fork is just ungodly expensive right now. Is Fork on the reserved list? I don't think it is. Is it? But it's still really it's expensive. It's old. Um, Reverberate came out in Magic 2011 and uh, and also in the uh, Fire and Lightning um, premium deck series. Ooh, I have a copy from the Fire and Lightning deck because I was one of the purchasers of a PDS Fire and Lightning. Yeah, Fork deck. is on the reserved list, and the cheapest oh. copy currently, yeah, Revised is going for eighty-two dollars. That is unlimited good. edition for one hundred and seventy-four dollars after all the buyouts. So yeah, Fork has just I remember, exploded. I remember when Fork was a thirteen-dollar card. My so, goodness. Yeah, so reverberate. It's good that the. You know, they say that they don't do functional reprints of reserved list cards. Reverberate is basically a functional reprint of Fork. Uh, or maybe they got around it by saying it's actually a color-shifted functional reprint of TwinCast. <laughs> That's, like, twice removed. Makes Reverberate not a functional reprint of a, of a reserved list card. But rever copying... Okay, so this, on the face of it, looks just like a win more card where you're just going to play a big fireball and then cast spend to copy that fireball and or uh, electro dominance or some other big old x spell or big bad spell let's say you want to super overkill someone and and play a star of extinction and, and copy it so you can hit every creature and play for 40 damage uh, if you're that kind of person yeah you can do that with reverberate but something that's much more important um, for reverberate is the fact that it says copy target instant or sorcery spell and you may choose new targets for the copy so there are some red cards that copy spells that say copy target spell you control or create copies of target things you control this is one of the the small number of ones that is um, can target anything on the table meaning at instant speed, if anyone plays an instant or sorcery, you can target that and also choose new targets for that copy. Um, say you want to make a crazy surprise play. Someone plays a ginormous uh, instant or sorcery that totally changes the state of play or maybe gives them a bajillion creature tokens or something like that. Maybe someone has like a storm herd or something. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. 
let's say someone casts a storm herd and is like, I'm going to win the game with 40 tokens. And you're like, <laughs> you cast reverberate on that thing and give yourself 40 pegasi. Oh, it depends on your life total, unfortunately. <laughs> depends so. on your life total. If you're playing red, you probably don't have 40 life. <laughs> because everyone honest, targets you first. I'm okay, probably have more life than the black player over there, who's probably at two life from uh, paying all of their life away. In a necropotence uh, or ad nauseum or something. Uh, but you're probably getting... Uh, there's a lot of big, big, powerful spells that someone across the table could play that you could reverberate for the low, low oh, cost yeah. two mana, two red mana and do something janky. Now, obviously, that's more corner case than just copying your big burn spell. But reverberate is playable in a lot of decks besides just mono red decks you can drop it in all kinds of decks to copy things and get value from that um as long as it's an instant or sorcery you can copy it so there is a tremendous pool of, of cards that you can make copies of you can make copies of cards that copy other cards you could copy um uh, like a right of replication right mm-hmm. or can you? I, I don't know if it would work on a kicked copy of Rite of Replication or not. I don't think I'm it would, because sure sure. the kicker is an uh, additional cost. Yeah, you're probably right. If, if it is an additional cost, it might not work. Um, but you could do it on a bunch of copy abilities. So you could copy a copy, because it says instant or sorcery spell. It doesn't say copy target creature. But you could copy an ability that copies a target creature and then end up with however many copies of that creature you want. Um, there's just a lot of options for a card like this yeah um i'm again i'm going to use a personal example of this i know we talked about this before the show but right before the uh covid shutdown began last march uh the last game i played at commander night at guardian games giving them giving them a shout out again at ggportland.com is where you can find them um i utilized a reverberate to be able to respond to an opponent's narset's reversal to respond to someone's spell twine, which was then, which then allowed me priority on the stack. I pulled out a rise of the dark realms, oddly enough, since we just mentioned that out of their graveyard and, uh, fraying omnipotence out of mine. So I was able to bring everyone's life way down for someone to discard a bunch of cards and then got all the creatures on my side of the battlefield effectively ended up killing two of the players on that other player's turn. Again, it was still their turn. I was doing all this at instant speed. I was able to kill two of the other players, and that last player who I was able to pull the Rise of the Dark Realms out of their graveyard from using Reverberate could not kill me that turn. They ran out of cards, and I decked them. So this card can actually be extremely powerful in the right scenarios, especially when you can start getting some of those weird uh, long stack chains like that where all of a sudden you're able to turn something that may not be overly powerful into something that is extremely absurd. So I'm, I'm never going to forget how absurd that game was because I did not believe I was going to have any chance in that game, and all of a sudden I won just because I had two open red mana and cast Reverberate. Yeah, another fun thing you can do with Reverberate that you wouldn't think of is you can... Uh, let's say someone plays a counter spell and uh, to, to counter your big ass uh, uh, ability, uh, you can cast reverberate and reverberate their counter spell to counter their counter spell. Hmm. In response. Yeah, that's so that's pretty gross. So you can. That's another thing you could do with it. It can, uh, just like I said, with the red elemental blast. Um, All right. So you want to go over to red elemental blast? Yeah. 
when I was talking to you beforehand, mm -hmm. I, well, Red Elemental Blast is an actual counterspell, whereas Reverberate, you can copy a person's counterspell, um, which is pretty hilarious. Um, but actually, it actually ties into the next card I was going to talk about, which is Red Elemental Blast. Yeah, so what does that do? That's a super duper old school card. Um, and it's not only an old school card, but it's a staple. Uh, it was first printed in Alpha. Um, weirdly enough, wasn't reprinted in after fourth edition until Masters 25, where it was finally given a reprint. Uh, I think Pyroblast, which is basically a functional copy of it, uh, has actually been reprinted a bunch of times. It does exactly the same thing as Red Elemental Blast. That's why they're like frequently seen together with slashes on them. Like it's Red Elemental Blast slash Pyroblast. Mm -hmm. Same card, effectively. Um, what it does is it, um, it basically states uh, or you, you basically can play um, uh, oh crap, maybe I need to bring that thing you up. You can counter target blue instant spell Yeah. or you can I think destroy or bounce a blue target blue permanent, is that yeah, right? It destroys a blue permanent, um, it, it's modal effectively, it's, pretty, it's the first modal card other than maybe a couple other things well, in Alpha. Blue Elemental Blast was also there too as, yeah, the, well, okay, as the other part blue. of the cycle. Nobody plays blue. Well, not nobody, but not very many people play blue elemental blast because there's better counter spell. Unless someone really wants to destroy a red permanent, or unless you're things. playing like old school, old school a ninety three ninety four yeah, or something. Yeah, ninety three ninety four. Or playing red a theme elemental deck. blast, however, is very useful and is very powerful actually. And the reason for this is because um, red uh, red elemental blast uh, is able to. Um, uh, hard counter a blue spell for one red mana. It can also destroy a target blue permanent. It just has an outright destroy effect, which is also not really common in red either. So that's also pretty cool. Mm -hmm. But the first ability is the one that is very surprising to people. Um, for whatever reason, Red Elemental Blast, I have never actually seen it played by another person um, ever in any game of Commander. I think maybe because Pyroblast and Red Element Blast are so old, maybe it's because they kind of are neglected as cards, maybe because they're conditional, they're not played as much, but you really have to think about it in terms of the first ability, Counter Target Blue Spell, basically says Counter Target Counter Spell. <laughs> because or a target 95% uh... <laughs> of all Counter Spells played are going to be in the color blue. Or even a Cyclonic Under... Rift, or, uh, yeah. or you could yeah. you can you can even counter rift. some you could even counter someone's like Enter the Infinite when someone's trying Heuristic to go study. infinite. Yeah, so, so the it's other crazy. Thing this thing, the other thing that this thing does that um, uh, that the previous card I mentioned doesn't do, you know, reverberate. Uh, you can counter an enchantment. So let's say someone plays a really nice in blue enchantment counterspell that thing. They're mm -hmm. not going to see this coming. This is sneaky. Uh, I mean, who the hell expects someone to, to blast out a mono-red counterspell? Uh, of course, they did release that Tybalt's Trickery um, mm -hmm. in the Kaldheim. So maybe people are now going to be a little bit more aware of the fact that, yeah red counterspells do actually exist in the history of magic but that and, still costs three so it's not quite the yeah same. it costs three it's a little bit different in that it's 
basically unconditional aside from it's like, it's like a chaos kind of polymorph it's, effect kind of it's more of a chaos warp because you end up yeah. sort of losing value on Tibalt's trickery whereas at least red elemental blast is a unconditional destroy or counter effect yeah that's the that's the trade-off though is that you know red elemental blast you're gonna only be able to target a blue spell being played so let's say someone plays a rise of the dark realms um it's not gonna work on you're that. not gonna it's not gonna work you're not gonna be able to counter that whereas tibble's trickery you could be like <laughs> put it down there and uh polymorph their rise of the dark realms into another spell which is probably not going to be as good as rise of the dark realms mm -hmm. because it's probably their finisher for their deck um so you know that's the trade-off though is that then they maybe they'll find something else from their deck that's even better than right well mm. probably not maybe maybe <laughs> arguably they could also end up pulling up a uh, stinkweed imp or something really lame true true so deck. yeah so <laughs> and put that into play it's kind of like chaos warp you know yeah um just that Red they can't Elemental get the Blast. thing back. That's but the only Chaos difference. Warp is super popular, and everyone knows about it, and it's, an, it's a red staple, and everyone plays it, whereas Red Elemental Blast, not so much. Um, but people, people are going to be playing blue at every table. I mean, I still maintain oh, yeah. the, the concept that blue is the most powerful color in all of Magic, and I know people I, say I, green's the most, but no, blue is the most common from what I've seen in our playgroup, from what it, I've seen in other playgroups, uh, and Red Elemental Blast is always going to have a target. I think blue is the most powerful in all of the other formats, um, other than maybe uh, I'd say Pioneer and Commander, where in both of those formats, I think that green takes the cake for power. But in the all of the older, uh, I'm talking Eternal formats, like Vintage, Modern, Legacy, blue is by far the hands down most powerful color because it has access to Force of Will and has access to some very powerful control cards. Um, whereas green isn't quite as good as that because yeah. we don't can have access to those kinds of things. We can agree um, to disagree on that, but that's for another day. Yeah, and but red elemental blast, I think, uh, is something that is really good in commander because when people play blue, they're going to be running counter spells and they're going to be trying to counter spell. Let's say you're playing a mono red deck, they're going to be trying to counter spell your giant big damage spells. Or they're going to be trying to counterspell your reverberate. In this case, you can turn right around and you can say, nope, you're not going to do that. I'm going to counter your counterspell and blast them with a red elemental blast. There's another red hard counter as well. I think it's a little bit more conditional. It costs one in the generic. Um, and then, of course, there's Tibble's Trickery. But other than that, that's only like four or five in total over the 25-year history of Magic um, red counterspells. There's like combo counter spells from like is it and stuff, but that doesn't really count in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So but I'm gonna pretty I'm gonna, sneaky. Yeah, I'm gonna go to my last card for for this episode so we can uh, get this wrapped up. And that last card is not Dawn Charm. It is Polymorphous Polymorphous Jest. There we go. It's hard to say. Say that three times fast. Anyway, you've probably seen this card because it has really cool blue frogs on the on the art. And uh, so Polymorphist's Jest is an instant for one blue-blue and reads, until end of turn, each creature target player controls, loses all abilities, and becomes a blue frog with base power and toughness 1-1. One, one. Um, again, we've seen this in our normal playgroup quite often. It's a very good card. It can basically blunt someone's attack, whether they're swinging in for lethal or whether you're just trying to protect protect yourself from from whatever it is or even if you're not uh, the one being attacked 
all of a sudden you can use this card, all of your opponent's creatures become 1-1s, one and you can block. You can kill basically all of your opponent's creatures that were huge and indestructible. Well, all of a sudden, if they don't maintain indestructible, they're 1-1s one now. They cannot fly. They have no evasion whatsoever. You can just kill them right on the spot right there. So there are just so many ways you can use Polymorphous Jess where it's just it is a completely bonkers card in a lot of scenarios and even if you're only using this on like one or two creatures and because you're not targeting it gets around hexproof and shroud so again if you ryan were playing your wyleth deck all of a sudden i play polymorphous jess um you're still gonna have all the equipment on your creature all the auras but wyleth is not gonna have trample and is a one one so all of a sudden maybe if you've team or battle raged it well it's get it's got two and maybe a few things, but maybe I've saved myself six, seven, eight damage. So <clears throat> it, has, it just has a lot of abilities on there. And, and since it doesn't target, it's just, it, it's a very useful card for only one blue, blue, honestly. Yeah. It, this kind of strikes me as something similar to what blue does a lot um, with like cards like Etherize or like Ether Spouts, mm -hmm. where it's like targeted, a targeted board wipe kind of. In this case, it's not really a board wife. It's a mass polymorph, but it has the same functional effect where it, it uh, you know, let's say bounce all attacking creatures or whatever back to their owner's hands or whatnot, you know, uh, as opposed to something like, um, uh, 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 like um, a more of a mass like bounce effect, like evacuation or something like that. Um, but this one, of course, can also not just be used against an, an attacking player, but also be used on your attack to make uh, all of your opponent's creatures uh, crappy 1-1s. One um, so that if they block, they, uh, um, yeah, it won't end very well for them. And then you can also play it as a defensive uh, spell to kill off your opponent's creatures who are attacking you um, past the point of no return. So it that's pretty cool. I actually had forgotten about this card entirely mm -hmm. until you uh, until you mentioned it. Yeah, um, in, in our game last night, we end up having Sudden Spoiling used instead, which is kind of the black equivalent of this card, where you're effectively able to neuter an opponent's creatures down to like zero ones. I don't quite remember exactly what it is, but... Yeah, so there that I, I kind of want to throw that one into the discussion here as well because they effectively do the same thing, at least as far as the power of toughness is concerned. I don't remember if Sudden Spoiling gets rid of the abilities or not, but they're functionally the same as far as the power of toughness is concerned. So they're and, and they're both really good in a lot of scenarios. Yeah. All right, so um, I think that'll do it for today. Uh, so we've, again, been talking about some of our favorite sneaky cards in EDH, and uh, we may be coming back another time later, somewhere down the road, for another Control Room episode regarding a Part 2 or maybe Part 3 of sneaky cards. So uh, to the listeners, definitely be on the lookout for future episodes on this one. I think I had a lot of fun talking about some of these sneaky cards. I know you did too, Ryan. We had a good yeah. discussion, and yeah, it's been uh, great having you back on the, on the show. Oh yeah, gives me an opportunity to talk about all the cards that infuriate people. Well, <laughs> maybe not as maybe not as much as uh, Cyclonic Rift does. Uh, Cyclonic strike. Rift isn't a sneaky card by any no, means. No, no. Just a, a you mad button presser. Right I mean, there. if you don't pay uh, the overload cost, it actually can be. But um, I mean, I guess if yeah, if you don't play the overload cost, then it probably won't make anyone upset. But no, no. 
if and you're dropping the overload on there, you're going to have people groaning. Yeah. Oh, yeah, always. Anyway, um, you can find me on Twitter at, at MTG in Quarantine. You can also find the back catalog of my podcast episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Casts, and wherever fine podcasts are found, like Breaker, Anchor, and CastBox. All right, so uh, again, for Ryan and for myself, my name's MJ. You've been listening to the MTG in Quarantine podcast. Have a great rest of your day.